Um, and um, we just love kids. I love the Word of God, and you would hope that would be true, right, for the guy that's going to do what I'm going to do now. Um, and I love the book of Proverbs. It's not going to be our message today, but I always like to start with a proverb today, being the 17th. I chose a verse from chapter 17, verse 9. He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats or harps on a matter separates even close friends. Okay, so that's a, that's a good one. Last week, we started a new series um, that we're calling Family Checkup, and the, the point of this series is to talk about the qualities of family and uh, how to see the Lord wants to strengthen families, um, and um, I think that every family can benefit from what happens at the doctor's office where you do some poking and some tests and some, you know, you look at um, patterns and maybe review some things, and we talk about how we handle things in our marriage and how we handle things in relationships and um, with our parenting skills and with our extended family. And I think it's good for any family to take a, a moment and take a look at those things. And we started out this quest uh, by starting with the first family, Adam and Eve. And um, it's Adam and Eve are a lot of fun to study. And so we're going to be in our second week on Adam and Eve. We're going to move away from Adam and Eve after this week. So um, um, I, I just uh, hope you enjoy looking at Adam and Eve because they just really messed up. You know, and it's not that we enjoy watching somebody mess up, but there's such rich material here for us to to do this. And so, let's start by inviting the Lord to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we um, we just have this privilege of seeing the victories and the failures of Your children. And I know that every moment we will read here was a momentous moment in relationship between You and them. And Lord, help us to understand the the, the reason You gave us Your Word, and that is to get to know You to understand you and your character. So Lord, help us to see beyond the events into the truths and to the character and into the love that you have for us, your kids. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we were, we, we were going to just do Adam and Eve in one week, but there was too much, so it's, we're kind of halfway through. So I want to take just a couple of minutes, if you weren't here, to um, get you up to speed with what we covered last week. Only I won't spend too much time, but say this. If you weren't here, the message is available on the church website. You can get a CD. It's all free. And I encourage you, if you didn't hear the message, to, to get caught up by getting the hold of the message. Um, but so, so here's how healthy and perfect things were at the very beginning. We'll start in Genesis 1, starting with verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 29, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And uh, boy, things were just whistling along. It was really smooth sailing at this point, right? Things were really, really good. God says everything is, is very good. Couldn't be better. And at the very beginning, the first family was a very healthy family. We talked some about that. Um, we, we talked about the fact that Adam and Eve had a great job. You know, what are you going to do today? I don't know. Let's get up, be fruitful, multiply. Let's, <laughs> let's name animals. I mean, like they, they, every one of their worst days was better than my best day. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, they had things going on. And then they had, they had, in terms of their job, they had terrific benefits. God says you can have this, you can have that, and you can have all of it. There's one tree, we'll talk about that later, but he gives them everything they could possibly need, you know? I mean, I know there was no such thing as a pizza tree, but I'll bet there was. There could have been. We don't know that there wasn't a pizza tree, right? Without mushrooms. Anyway, so they had anything they could ever want or need. God said, here it is. Here it is. And, uh, and then God set some boundaries. We, you know, because life works great, Marriage works great, family works great, relationships work great when we stay within God-given, love-filled boundaries. But when we decide to get outside those boundaries, that's when things kind of start to go sideways. You know, that'd be like, that's what happens. And then the, the, the fourth thing that we notice is that they had each other, right? God, creation was, was, was basically made for mankind, and God says, you know what, this isn't quite right, let's get this perfect, I'm going to make you someone suitable, perfect for you. 
and he makes woman. And um, they had each other. Life is sweet. But things pretty soon go sideways in the story. And even though their environment was perfect, things go sideways. And so the lesson from that is they didn't get to blame their environment. But we have this habit. When things go south, we kind of want to blame our environment. Well, this demonstrated they don't get to blame the, the, the environment. And when things go sideways, you know, we spent some time last time talking about, well, why did God put that tree right in the middle? Did he know that they were going to fail? Of course he knew. Scripture says that Jesus was the Lamb of God before the foundation of the earth. Yeah, God knew that they were going to fail. God knew that they were going to fail miserably and that they were going to exclude themselves from a future in a perfect heaven. And he made the plan before he put the tree in the garden. That's, that's God. Love them that much. And then so things kind of start to go wrong for them. And we saw some characteristics that they, that they did. The first family chose to become unhealthy. They chose not to flee temptation. You know the story of the temptation. They chose not to flee. They chose not to fight for the truth because sometimes you can't flee from temptations. Sometimes you just got to fight. You just got to stand for the truth. And then they chose not to focus on the best. And so uh, we pick up in Genesis 3, verse 1. And um, this says, Now the serpent, this is Satan, I won't go off in that this time, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? I mean, is that really what? Are you sure you got that right? Verse 2, And the woman says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, God never said that last part. Never to touch it. That is something that was added on, and we talked last time about the fact that not only uh, do we have problems when people deny God's word, but we also have problems when people add to God's word, and they add on religion and things that just kind of get us into trouble. And um, the problem is is when people add to it. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. Now, now this rhetoric has stepped up, and he is directly contradicting God. You know, And what do you do when somebody in your circle, directly contradicts God? It's a good question. We should ask, we'll to ask that in a bit. For Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So first off, he plants doubt, then he directly contradicts, and then he assaults God's character, his heart. And that's always the pattern. In fact, if you have questions Let's stop for just a second and pray for a little baby that needs a touch of peace on them. Can you hear that? <laughs> One of our little ones is crying. I want to go. Do you, do you mind if I go and hold the baby for a little while? <laughs> I probably should make that another time. Lord, bless that little one and the mama or daddy who is comforting it that, uh, with peace. We love our little ones. They are never a distraction to us. They are uh, the object of our love. Blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. 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 Okay. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so um, if you have questions in your soul about God's character, someone has lied to you or contradicted God in the the past. Trace, you can trace back to that. You know, he's saying, God doesn't even care for you. It's a trick. God's afraid that if you eat this, you're going to be just like him. Something's going to happen to you from the fruit that's going to change you who you are. I mean, now it's, rem- it's really helpful for us to take a minute and remember who is talking right here, okay? The person talking right here is Satan. He's the father of lies, okay? And, I mean, he's lying. Everything he says is a lie. He's authoring lies, and they're just flowing out of this guy. What do you do when somebody directly contradicts God, you know? Uh, think about the time when um, Jesus had shared with the disciples, um, I'm going to the cross, it's going to be rough. And Peter, who loves him, says, no, no, don't go, don't go. <laughs> and Jesus got right into Peter's grill, and he said something like this, Satan, get behind me, to Peter, knowing the, the source of the resistance and 
Um, you know, this wasn't one of those touchy, love. hey, Pete, I know you really mean well, and it wasn't like that at all. It was like, blammo, get behind me. <laughs> and I'm thinking at that moment, Jesus is like, Jesus, it takes everything in him to get his eyes set on where he's going, the cross. It's taking everything in him. And men, it takes everything in you to be the man of God that God's calling you to be. Women, same thing. It takes everything in you. And sometimes we just can't afford to allow someone else to put nonsense in our mind and in our hearts when, uh, when we got to get our eyes focused on the cross or whatever that the Lord is calling us to. We just can't afford that. So there are times when um, you can't flee and you just have to get up off your chair and get a little bit sideways to fight for the truth. And Jesus did. That's a healthy thing, you know, to, to decide. You're just not going to let people put that in your head. So, so here's Eve, and this is going on, and she could have done so much better. And watch what happens when she chooses not to focus on the best. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to the eyes, remember where she's standing. She can pirouette in any direction, and there is an outstanding salad bar right there, Right? She does not have to have that tree fruit. There's everything she could want and need has been given to her. Somewhere there might even be a pizza tree. Okay, she's, 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 she's surrounded with alternatives. But where are her eyes? On the one place. So it was delight to the eyes. And that that tree was to be desired to make one wise, she's now believed. Um, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. There she is this salad bar, and she sees that one tree. What does that tell you? I mean, to me, I think God forgive us our tendency to be, you know, dissatisfied with what we have. There's a tendency in us to think that somehow there's something better over there or outside of our household or outside of my family or outside of my marriage or outside of whatever, you know, I mean, there's this tendency, Lord, forgive us, but it's, because it's, it's right there with you. It's right there in front of you. It's right there at your house. The good thing that the Lord has provided. You're right in the garden. She chose not to focus on the best. She already had God's best. It was right there all around, and she should have rejoiced in it, but instead she got sold on something different, something more, something better. She chose not to focus on the best. Well, how big a deal is that, Really? So that's where we left off, and so um, let's talk about that. So here come now the fallout, the first family fallout from the decisions that they made. The first consequence of her choices is this, shame. Number one is shame. They covered themselves up. You know, they're saying, I'm dirty, I'm bad, I'm, I'm sinful, I, I don't measure up, I'm no good. You ever said that to yourself or someone? I mean, they felt shame, and that's what we do. When we feel shame, we cover up. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. How sad. I mean, all of a sudden, something that God had created that was healthy, a healthy family life, healthy sexuality, healthy, you know, all of these blessing, beautiful things within the boundaries that God had created. And now, instead, it's shame and and guilt. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, you know. We could just kind of cover up. I, I don't want you to know. People say to you, how are we doing? Oh, I'm fine. And we just kind of cover. And um, that's what it is with sin and with failure and when we're living outside of God's boundaries. That's where shame lives. And so that's why in verse 8 it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God loves them, you know. And he created these people to have relationship with him. Here he comes again for some relationship. So he's walking in the cool of the garden. Sounds wonderful. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. (laughs) Seems silly. Hide and seek with God. You know, where are they going to go? But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? Now, do you really believe God was asking the question because he, he did not possess the information, the answer to the question. He did not, I mean, do you really think that he didn't know where they were? So, I mean, this is like you playing hide-and-seek with your four-year-old. I think you know where they are, right? Um, where are you? So why is God asking the question? Obviously, the answer is for them to hear their own answer. Do you know where you are? 
do you know what where the path you've walked on now? Do you, you know, it's, it's, it's because God wants them to know where they are, them to know, you know, where are you? How did you get there? Look what you've chosen. There, there was so much, you know, you know, we deny where we are. You know, because of our shame, we hide from God. The thing is that our denial doesn't change where we are. It just, it just is something we deal with. Verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And there it is, that shame we hide from God. I have to say that um, one of my, you know, most constant prayer, I don't use this particular phrasing, but my most constant prayers as a pastor for this church is that we as a group, but mostly as individuals, I'm not naming anybody or no faces come to mind, but that we would not hide from God. That we wouldn't need to feel shame and somehow hide ourselves from the loving presence of the king, the provider, the lover of our souls, the, the healer, the great and mighty God, the El Elyon, the most high God, that we would never feel the need to hide from him. And, you know, I'm praying that for me. And you need to know that with regularity, that is being prayed for you. <laughs> it's a good thing. And over the summer, I've been praying about this message series because I really felt like the Lord said, I want you to get into families, but wait until the fall. And so I made a little drive-by in the spring, but been planning this time because I'm, I'm really thinking that there's something that the Lord is up to concerning families. This is a big deal. Strong families, whatever the shape of your family whatever the constituency of it. But, but, but healthy in that setting is such an instrument of God to bless you and the people around you. And the Lord wants your family to be strong and he wants you to be blessed and he wants you to be full of life and out of, uh, full of hope and blessing. And my, my prayer is that, that in this series, in this time, that there's going to be something the Holy Spirit's going to do. It's going to be different for you than for me. But that this will not be, okay, check mark, went to church. But instead, something will get in there powered by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be closer to God after church because he's been with you today. Not because of anything that's been said, but you've allowed yourselves to be available to the Spirit. And that's where this is going. And we're kind of on our way. I don't know how long this series is going to go. But I think that there's going to be, people are going to really believe God for things. They're going to really believe God for a revolution in their marriage. They're going to really believe God for a restoration of relationship. They're going, to, they're going to believe God for restoration of marriages that they've counted gone. They're going to believe God for restoration between their children and the Lord. Those are the kind of things I'm pressing for, and I hope you are too. And it's really important for us to get there that we step outside of the shame and um, not hide from God in the middle of, and let God go to work. Okay, so the next fallout is pretty intuitive. After shame comes blame. Okay, we get to see them play the blame game. Genesis 3, verse 11. He said, Who told you you were naked? Of course, God already knows. He wants to point out where they got their information because he's you know, so loving and direct. Who told you that? Have you eaten of the tree? Different question. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So God's pointing out two things. Who told you that? And what did you do with what they told you? Did you see what happened there? So God's loving ways, you know, he knows those answers. He, he's saying to Adam, can you say it? Can, can you admit it? Can you own it? Can you speak the truth about what's really going on here, Adam? That's what's going on here. And we're going to find out that they could not. Didn't rise to that. The man said, the woman. It's the woman, God. <laughs> but actually, he doesn't blame the woman so much as who he actually blames. We read on here. It's the woman, God, whom you gave to be with me. You know? Let's remember how this got started, God. You gave me the woman. She's supposed to be my helper. She's not helping me very, much, very good right now, is she, God? This guy's got attitude. He's, I don't know what he's got, but it's not good. <laughs> wow. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So basically, it's the woman, but more even so you, God. This is your fault. This is your mess. You know, okay, Adam, really? Come on. I mean, did Eve open your mouth for you? Did she make the jaw go up and down? Did she... Can I massage your throat? You know how you make a dog swallow a pill, right? <laughs> no. You cat lovers don't know this, but okay. Because there ain't no way you're going to get a pill down a cat's throat. I've tried. No. <laughs> I've not. Um, 
don't know why I do that. It completely distracts. So, 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 so now the Lord says, okay, I've asked you the question. I've made you think about what you need to think about. Can you handle the truth? You know, you can't really handle it. And so there it is. And um, now he turns his attention. He doesn't accept Adam's answers, by the way, just because he moves on to the woman. Okay? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? <laughs> okay. Here's my immaturity again. Because I've had a dog, and you come home, and the dog has gotten into the brownies, you know, somehow. But the dog knows it, and it's sitting over in the corner when you come in the door. Won't make eye contact. What did you do? <laughs> you, you ever done that to a dog? Yeah. It's kind of fun, you know. <laughs> you, get, you get to watch them kind of, they won't make eye contact. What did you do? You know. I don't think that's what's going on here. I do not think that this is God saying, Eve, what did you do? I think this is, Eve, what's, what's going on in your heart, honey? I love you. What, what happened? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, what we many times can miss in this passage is the fact that their accountability to God was separate. It was individual. God held him accountable for their marriage. God held her accountable separately for their marriage. It's an important point for us to catch that, that you're going to account to God for your marriage, for your family. You know, for your part. Well, I would, my husband would just, yeah, 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 yeah. But you have to realize that you're going to account to God for your part in your relationship. And, you know, for you, for me, doing everything that God called me to do for my marriage, that's me moving forward. But for me to have my focus on what God called her to do for the marriage, that's me going backwards. You can really be the conduit um, to your home of God's grace by focusing on what God called you to do and to be in that relationship. We shouldn't miss that. God first went to Adam and then to Eve. It wasn't a group deal. Individual, personal accountability. We, we, we kid ourselves into believing somehow that God's not going to hold us accountable for the condition of our home um, because of something that, our, that someone else is doing in the home. But that's just not true. So back to the text. If we continued, if we continued in, in order here, we'd get to God's judgment upon the serpent. But I'm going to save that for later. We're going to come back to that. And um, instead, we're going to now move on to the consequences for sin. First the woman, and then the man, because that's the order that they appear in Scripture. Now, um, we're going to notice that the consequences for men and women are different because men and women are different. Men and women are different. And I think our culture is really missing that. We ought to celebrate the differences instead of fighting them. Male and female, he created them. Now, um, yesterday, just yesterday, I was done with this message, but yesterday in, in the news was an article. And so I thought I would share, just read to you a couple of lines from this news article. Um, and the headlines of the article was, Is Equality Ruining Your Marriage? This is from research, University of Illinois. There were thousands of people um, were, were um, subjects studied. And, um, you know, it said, while these findings aren't surprising to any of us, they certainly defy the cultural narrative. Americans are forever being told that gender equality, which is no longer being defined as equal opportunity, but gender interchangeability, equivalence, is the only road to a happy life. That's what we're being told now. That's what you're being taught by our culture, in, by our government, by laws. And um, here's what the studies have, are finding. That couples who resist traditional gender roles, in other words, the couples who believe that, cu- that males and females are interchangeable are less happy. They're not as happy. It says, we observe a statistically significant and substantial difference in depression. Their comment um, goes on. It says, men and women are not interchangeable beings, pure and simple. They may both be capable of being breadwinners and full-time parents, but that doesn't mean they want to perform those tasks with equal fervor. There are other articles. So this one kind of off I went on a rabbit trail of, you know, study. Here's another one from the news. Why um, wanting equality makes women unhappy. 
I'm just reading to you what, this, what these say. This is from a study at the University of Virginia, Virginia and it studied uh, women who had a progressive um, ideology. Okay? It says the 15% who agree most with feminist ideals of, of gender equivalency have a harder time being happy than their peers. Okay? So happiness. How about one more? Now, this might surprise you. From the New York Times. This was printed back on Valentine's Day. New York Times. Traditional gender roles may mean better marriages. Another one from a study of the American Sociological Review says, separate gender roles strongly associated with happier, more stable marriages. Contrary to many people's stated preference for gender equality, couples are happiest when men and women fulfill different and complementary roles. Interesting, because we're going to be talking about the curse and how it affected men and women are different. One last topic. Because when... Um, when we try to force the cultural narrative that says men and women are the same and therefore interchangeable, the next step of that is gender doesn't matter. And culturally, you're being taught that gender is fluid. You can decide you're one gender now and at some point in the future become another gender. This is what culture teaches. And um, so here are some facts because um, the subject here is, is... is I'm going I'm to just touch on this, and it's going to mention suicide, and I just always, anytime I come on the topic of suicide, I want to take a sidestep and say, suicide is not the answer to any problem. It is not the answer. You are loved by the Lord, and you will not solve your problems with suicide. And um, if that is a topic about which you consider, get help. Come and see one of the pastors, or, 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 or get help. Let us help you find professional help. And uh, this last article, which I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on, um, talks about suicides and untreated treated mental illness among the transgender population. Um, this thing really got stirred up when, when... This is not meant to be disrespectful. Bruce Jenner became Caitlyn Jenner in the public eye at the ESPY Awards um, a couple years ago when uh, he, he came and said he's now a woman... And he made this comment. She made this comment. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I always think of Bruce Jenner as a man. Okay, can't help myself. I'm trying to be respectful. But this comment was made from the public uh, perspective that 41% of transgendered people attempt suicide after the surgery. Okay, I didn't know if that was accurate or not, so I talked to a couple of people who um, fiddle around in that field and said, yeah, that is uh, a statistic that's out there. And so I did some more research, and there are lots and lots and lots of studies that talk about the happiness of people who are transgendered and um, um, their, their mental health. There have been so many studies, and most of them are not reported in the media. The vast majority are not. So you will not get this information I'm sharing with you from CNN. You won't. Because it doesn't correspond with their narrative. Okay, that's the reason. Um, But it says that there are studies out there now, lots of studies. In fact, in the United Kingdom, a group of people decided to put together the results of over 100 studies on the topic from around the world and and aggregate that together. And what what do we know about about people that are transgender? The majority of transgenders have coexisting disorders. Coexisting besides the issue of gender identity. And here were some of the findings from some of the studies. 90% of the patients were suffering from a mental illness that gender surgery did not alleviate. And those um, mental illnesses, here are the categories, psychiatric disorders with personality, mood, disassociative, and psychotic disorders. 90%. Now, there were other studies that don't agree with this 90%. They say 61%. Still, huge percentages of people who, who think that a gender reassignment surgery will fix their life. And so they go through the surgery, and afterwards, 41% attempt suicide, and st- studies say either 60 or 90, pick your number, of them have other issues, and they need help. Um, there's, a sim- uh, there's, there's, a, there's a problem now called gender regret for people who have had surgery, and they regret because they did not fix their problem. And I, my, my comments, I love how this person who wrote this article says this, and I agree completely. I believe that true compassion is shown 
by raising factual issues based on scientific research and having the best minds follow the evidence to provide the best care for this segment of our society that is suffering. They're suffering, and they need help. Packaging the issue in the wrapper of political correctness or withholding the negative findings from the the truth is not compassion, and I agree completely. In his own image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In his own image. If you're a woman, which is a bunch of us here today, (laughs) there is a particular bent to you as a woman uh, because of the sin nature that was passed on to you by Adam and Eve. There's There's a bent to a woman certain way that you're going to struggle, it's different than a way a man struggles. We're going to come to the men in a minute, okay? So we're going to all get fair treatment here, okay? Um, but it won't be the same treatment because men and women are different. So what's the sinful bent that a woman um, has as a result of the fall? Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Anybody want to debate that? Okay. Um, in pain you shall bring forth children. Now I used to read that and think that was too... Um, descriptions of the same event from the left and from the right. But it's not. There are two different statements there. In pain, uh, I will multiply your, ch- your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. That bringing forth children has to do with the raising of the children, not the birthing. Women are going, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Kids, it, there's some wear and tear in being a parent, right? And... Um, 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 women, um, there's a way that a woman can become so consumed with her children that to her own destruction, it can get out of balance. And um, it's not healthy or right when it gets there. And it's, it's so easy for children to take over a family or to take over the, you know, the primary relationship which needs to be the marriage. And by the way, men, there's Nothing in the scriptures here that absolves you of the responsibilities of bringing forth the children or sharing in that pain. Men are supposed to also raise the children. And there's lots of scripture on that um, about, about how to be a great father. There's lots of scripture on that. I'm just, we're just now in the women's portion. Don't think that, the, that you can you know, doze off here. Wake up. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I think it's interesting here too that God's judgment upon the woman addresses the two most important relationships in the typical woman's life, her husband and her children. The two most important relationships. God said, this is where this is going to affect you. He goes on, he says, your desire shall be for your husband. Some translations say against, uh, but it's also translated as your will is yielded to your husband and he shall rule over you. So just as your bent affects your relationship with your kids, it's affecting your hubby, you, you and your hubby. Your desire shall be for your husband. And, and this desire for your husband shall, can, can just as easily get out of balance as the issue with the kids. You know, more than men, women kind of dream about what their life will be with their man. You know, I don't remember ever at seven dreaming about a wedding. Right? <laughs> women are different. Girls think about those kinds of things. You get to the wedding day, and I don't know how many guys are going, I really care which color the dresses are. I don't give a rip. I mean, I care. I care. <laughs> Sorry. But I mean, I like, you know, but there, this bent can get for this desire for the, for the husband, you know, she'll, she'll, it, it can be so important that women can make life about that one relationship. And if that relationship's not right, nothing's right. My life's on hold until I have that. And when I have that, all of my human happiness will be come flooding in and it's all focused on that one person. And become, women can become consumed with that relationship and it's unhealthy and it can be destructive. And I'm not in any way minimizing the priority of the marriage. I'm just saying that that can become out of balance in a woman's heart. If my husband's not right, nothing's right. world isn't going to be right till that's right. And women think that way sometimes. And then... How you go about trying to affect that, women, is part of your bent because your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And God has, has established, he has established an authority structure. And there are authority structures. You see these all over in the world. There's a, an authority structure in the Trinity. You can study that out. 
There is an authority structure in the church. The word tells us how to, to have the church run. There's an authority st- structure in society with our human government. We see it work well in some places and poorly in other. You know, men, you are called by God to be the spiritual leaders in your home. We're going to come back to you quickly. But the problem here comes up when, when women, in their bent, maybe in their own household, some women are smarter than their husbands. <laughs> women are smirking right now. Some of you are... Are, you have better judgment. And, or some, some of you see things and you're more in tune with things than the man in your house is. And how you go about dealing with that is extremely important to the health of your household and your marriage. The number one thing that a, typically a woman wants to do when she sees deficiency in the household, and men, there are deficiencies in the household, amen? We admit it, Right? Guys, you got to admit this. Come on, get with me. Don't leave me hanging here, guys. Come on. Okay, so the number one thing is that she wants to tell you about it, and there's an N-word for this, for how a woman wants to tell. And I don't want to say nag, so I'll say nudge, okay? <laughs> nudge. Hey, Adam, get in here. Stop with the animal naming thing and... Help me out. The boys are at each other's throat. I'm not going to kill each other. Get in here and be a better father. Whatever. It would never sound like that coming, ladies, from your mouth. That's just how it comes into our ears. <laughs> Proverb 14, one lady says that every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And women, I know you love your family. I know you love your husband. You love... You know, you love them. And the way you go about trying to affect this change, First Peter 3 mentions this, talks about this. It says the godly woman will win her family without a word. First Peter 3. She's going to win her husband. She's going to win her family without a word. It's her conduct that wins. Because words don't work. So ladies, the curse affects you in your two most important earthly relationships, and they can get out of whack. And I'm way more comfortable now talking about the next part, um, the way that the sin affects men. Okay, so the fallout from our choices is shame, blame, the nudge, and now number four, neglect. Genesis 3, starting in verse 17. And Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. The earth became cursed. Because of you. Pause for a second. Some theologians believe that the reason we have hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes is because the earth is cursed. It was peace-filled and perfect before the curse. Could be. I lean that way. I, I lean to believing that the earth is cursed because of the sin. But that is a huge rabbit trail. I'd love to go on, but I'm holding back from that. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The consequences for for men is this responsibility to somehow provide on a cursed earth. It's not easy. Cursed is the ground because you, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. For men, our responsibility is to be the provider for our family, working hard in this cursed earth environment. And, 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 and in this, basically what happened here is God cursed work. Work's not going to be easy for you. It's going to be hard. Now, before I go too far into this, I want to be sensitive to the realities of life in our culture here. Um, I think... Being responsible to provide can come with a lot of challenges, and there are obviously exceptions that I want to talk about here. I know people, and you probably do too, where um, the the man in a in a the, the husband in a marriage, the father in a marriage has a disability, and the wife is a more productive breadwinner in terms of how much income comes in the household, and that's that's the way it needs to be for that family. and And our culture adds to the weight of this curse. It makes life harder here 
without having two incomes. Um, you know, I mean, I think I'm old enough now to look backwards to remember when Sundays there were no businesses open and most stores closed at six in the evening, grocery stores. <laughs> you young people are going, what? Huh? Um, you know, we had a telephone that was hooked to the wall and, um, you know, there, 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 were, there were, I'd say in the early 60s, the vast majority of families in, in America were single-income families. Vast majority. And I think that um, because of the curse and it's accelerating as we get closer and closer to Christ's return, I, I think that um, I've seen in the last 50 years this curse become spill over off the men and onto the women even more and more and more. Because now a two-income family is... is it's really hard not to, 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 take, to, to, to bring home the bacon and to feed your family on a one-income family. It's really rare. It's really rare. And um, so many women whose primary focus needs to be the home are more and more out of necessity out there providing, and, and I think we all get that. And marriage is a, it's a partnership, you know, laying down your life for your spouse and for your family. And just the same as a man is to be a part of bringing forth the children, right? Learning to be a great father. There is nothing in scripture, there's a place even included in scripture where a woman can participate in helping to provide for the family. Proverbs 31 is a great example of a woman who rises while it's yet early and considers a field and she brings home a prophet and blesses her household. She's helping provide for her family there. And there's nothing in the woman's curse that lifts the responsibility from men to parent. And likewise, there's nothing in the man's curse that places the individual and sole responsibility upon the man to provide for the family and make sure the family succeeds. It's a partnership, two people. So please hear me say this, because I'm trying to be very, very careful. I am not saying it's wrong for a woman to work outside the home, (laughs) because I would condemn myself with that belief. Um, My wife has worked almost our entire married life. And we've gone through seasons where it was what we needed to do and she worked full-time outside the home. And then when, when the time came for us to um, bring forth children, we made a conscious decision, okay, this is going to impact our lifestyle, our standard of living. But for us, we did not want her to be at work when, and the kids be somewhere. That was our choice. Don't mean that to condemn anyone. But for that season, we decided. And um, so we went through seasons and those things change. And once the family begins, that equation changes. Because there is no scriptural approval. There is no scriptural approval anywhere where my career or hers is allowed to supersede the family. Guys, we're going to get to us some more on this in a minute, but we have a tendency to somehow think that the career is okay to supplant higher God-placed priorities in our life. But same is true for a woman. And um, sometimes some seasons, some hard financial choices have to be made in order to fam- uh, honor those family priorities. So back to the consequences. Work's going to be hard. God's saying work is going to be hard for you. It's, it's not going to be easy. And when I hear people say, you know, I wish my job was more fulfilling, I think, you know, me too. I mean, I wish your job was more fulfilling. Mine's fulfilling. I enjoy my job. But it's hard work. I don't know anybody, I don't know anybody anywhere who doesn't love some parts of their job and hates, hate other parts, right? Maybe over time you love less of it or something. I don't know, but I mean, and I, I find work hard. I do. I mean, I think, you know, just let me whine for, I'm not whining, but I mean, I'm just like you. I work hard and there are burdens that I have to carry and they're mine to carry. And God says, here, I built you to carry this weight. Now you carry it. And sometimes it feels like a lot, and, you know, for every single week, for me to do the things I'm required to do, it's work. That's the curse. That's the curse. It's okay. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I have joy in my job. That's the state of my heart. Okay? It's not because there's a curse upon me that I can't have joy. I do. I do. But it's also work. It's, work is hard. It's a toil. It's a burden. And there's no escape in that curse. Lottery tickets have their own curse. Right? Even if you win, which you won't. <laughs> and here's the twist, guys. 
because of the way that we're bent, because of the fall, we, we can get consumed with work, you know, and we can neglect our families. And work can become more important to us. And work can, can become the place where we start to adopt our identity and our worth. And, and we can have a, I mean, I've seen this, we can get to the place where there's a, we can have a miserable marriage and children that are a mess and getting worse by the minute, but yet be pleased with ourselves because we are seen as a success in the marketplace. And I want to tell you, that's wickedness. It's terrible. First things first, the home. Go home. Get to your home. Your marriage, my marriage, my children, my first responsibilities. Because you can win the world in the marketplace and then somehow find yourself later in life miserable because you find that the more important things you let slip between your fingers for something else that was fleeting anyway. And maybe, you know, maybe some of you can think of somebody you know that if they could do it over again, they would do something completely radically different concerning family than what they did. Or maybe that's something you think about yourself. I want to say this to you. It's not too late. It's not too late for you if you need to make an alteration. Make an alteration. Do it now. Do it today. Don't let shame keep you from doing this. Don't put it off, guys. There's still time. Okay, so women tend to nudge. Men tend to neglect. We're just about done here. I'm going to go rapid fire here because we're, 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 we're out of time. Four choices that lead to happiness. Okay, this part gets really practical. Four quick choices. Principles for healthy choices. You can, you can do this yourselves. Number one, never question God's word. Start out there. Don't question God's word. Trust God's word. Now, you can study it all you want. I encourage you to do that. The more I study it, the more it verified. The more I look at the world, the more God's word is verified. But trust God's word. Don't question it. Start out from the premise of, okay, this is God's word. It's got to be true. I don't understand why it's true, but I'm going to start there and figure out life from that point. Never question God's word. Number two, if you sin, face it and repent. Repent means turn and go the other way, right? Okay, so if you've blown it, if you've dropped the ball, if you're not where you're supposed to be, first ask God for forgiveness and then your family. And guys, you take the lead on this. This could be one of those times where you say, Family meeting, I need the family together. And you say, listen, I, I, I know I just need to say I'm sorry. This area of my life, I've not been what I needed to be for you. I'm sorry, I'm going to try and get this right. And you start with your family. Guy's got to take the lead in that. And, and because failure looks bad in us, but it looks way worse in our children, number three, the time to get on this is now, right now. Don't wait till next week. Today after church, start um, making good choices. And then last point, only with Christ can we win over sin. Only with Christ. And that's going to take us to the final verse um, that we skipped past. And that's where the Lord was handing out the curse. And we, did, we skipped over the one to the serpent, to the snake, to the devil. Um, Genesis 3.15. And here's the th- coolest thing. This curse is the coolest thing. Not because the snake gets cursed, but there is, this is the first prophecy in all of Scripture that hints of the coming of the Messiah. I smile when I read this curse. Not just because the snake gets his, right? But this is wonderful. I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the snake, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the very first reference in all of Scripture that hints of the coming of the Messiah. God's telling Satan that even though your minions are going to bruise the offspring of Adam and Eve, someday from Eve is going to come someone who is going to crush your head. <laughs> and Jesus Christ is that one. He's the one who, who came into the world. He, he, he lived a sinless life. He, he, he lived a perfect life and he died this cruel death to pay the price for my sins and yours. And then, if that wasn't enough, he rose from the dead to prove that he was God, to prove that he was who he said he was. And he crushed the serpent's head. (laughs) And, And in Christ, all of the effects of the fall, 
all of the bad stuff from our bent, the tendency to nudge, the tendency to neglect, all of that are crushed by Christ. And we can become who God created us to be. By the grace of God, everything that God made available to Adam and Eve can become available to you and me through Jesus Christ. And I encourage you today that that's where to start. If your family needs to become healthier than it is, start with your relationship with the Savior. He's the way, the truth, the life. If you have never made the decision to open your heart to the King, I encourage you to do that today, right now. And it's not about joining church, and it's not about saying an incantation, and it's not about going someplace and putting your knee on an altar. It's about a decision you make in your heart. Scripture says that all who believe and call on the name of Jesus will be saved. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. I encourage you to do that. And if you, once you've done that, share that with someone. You can do it today after church. Go up to somebody and say, hey, I open my heart to Jesus Christ and we'll pray with you and help you get on your way. What a great promise. Only with Christ can we win over sin. Let's pray. Lord, um, <clears throat> I want to pray over marriages today and over families. They're not the same thing. And I ask God for you to help us to stand with you and for your word, to not find ourselves playing hide and go seek from God, from you, to not find ourselves in this place where we are unable to say where we are as Adam and Eve were, but instead we can assess with, 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 with love and with truth where we are, Lord. So we place ourselves, God, into your capable hands. I pray, Lord, for people who are going to walk out of here today thinking, you know what, my life is a mess, my family is a mess, I'm a mess. I don't even know the first step. Your word tells us, Lord, that you will order the steps of the righteous. So we we make our, our spirit, our hearts available to what you will say to us, Lord, so that you will give us wisdom. Do we go to a certain person? Do we? What do we do? Order our steps. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us this way. In Jesus' name.